You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. Good morning. How you guys doing today? Good. <laughs> Someone sounded really tired in the front row. That's why I'm laughing. Uh, it's great to be here with you today. If uh, you're newer here to Linworth, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Linworth. Uh, one of my main roles here at the church is I direct and lead our music ministry. Uh, today, I get to take us through the next section of Luke that we're in as we work through this series called The Gospel for Everyone. Uh, we're just going to get right to work here, so why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. We're still going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. And while you're flipping there, I just wanted to ask you a question. Since it's summertime, I wanted to see how many of you in here have been boating this summer. Could be a ski boat, a canoe, a kayak, a fishing boat. Okay, there's a few of you. Uh, I remember uh, as a kid, my dad and his wife had a skiing boat. And so naturally, every summer... Every other weekend, because that was sort of the visitation that my parents had with each other, uh, every other weekend my siblings and I would go boating with my dad and his wife. And it was a blast. We had a ski boat, and so we would go tubing, we'd go skiing, kneeboarding. I loved it. And surprisingly, as a nine-year-old kid, I I wasn't terrified of the water. I wasn't terrified of going fast on a, a tube or skiing. I loved it. And while I wasn't afraid of that, I definitely had fears as a little kid. One fear specifically that just kept uh, kept coming up over and over in my life is I was deathly afraid of storms. Tornadoes to be more specific. I was convinced that any time there was a dark cloud in the sky, a tornado was going to swoop down and suck me up into the air along with the cows. I was terrified of them. And while I wasn't afraid of boating in of itself, one of the scariest situations that I made up in my mind for myself was to be in the middle of a lake on a tiny boat when a storm was rolling in. To be on this tiny boat and this uh, tornado either comes down and sucks me up or it throws me out of the boat into the deep water. I was deathly afraid of that. Well, today in our passage, we're going to read about two storms that take place. One that happens when Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples. And the second storm we see takes place inside of a demon-possessed man. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 39. So I just want to invite you to stand up and read our passage with me this morning. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through 39. It says, One day... He got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they, were, and, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. 
When Jesus had stepped out onto land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived without a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake where, and, and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with, with, with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Father, there's a couple of moments in this chapter where you speak of the importance of your your followers' abilities to be able to hear your word and to do your word. Lord, uh, Lord, in the message that we heard last week, we heard that people who have hearts of good soil are people who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus, you say in a section right after that, when your mother and your brothers are looking for you, you, you say that your mothers and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, Lord, I I pray for us this morning that you would give us ears to hear. I pray for us this morning, Lord, you would show us who you are through your word. And I pray that this morning, Lord, your word would change our hearts. Father, I pray that we would leave here knowing who you are more and loving you more because of what we've seen and what we've heard. We love you so much. We thank you for this time that we get to gather together. We pray it would be a blessing to you, Lord, and we pray that you would minister to our hearts right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You could take a seat. Okay, so as you can see in this passage, there is a lot going on here, and really, this passage can be broken up into two different stories. Okay? And this week when I realized we have two different stories going on here as I was preparing, I began to prayerfully ask the Lord, what is it about these two stories that you want to show us this morning? What is it that you want to show us uh, from these two stories, Lord? And then I also prayerfully asked, Lord, show me what these two stories have in common. 
Show me some common things between these two stories. The first thing that I felt like the Lord was showing me in this text was a call. I felt like the Lord was putting a call on my life and for Linworth Road Church this morning. And the call is this. It's a call to deeper faith and deeper trust in who Jesus Christ is and who he says he is. I know for a fact that right now, some of us are sitting in here and we are walking through some pretty significant storms, some pretty significant dark times in our life. Situations that have brought about significant fear and anxiety. And I believe that the Lord is calling you right now, if that's you, to trust him. To go deeper with him in your faith. I know there are some of you here this morning that have walked through storms in your life and have realized that Jesus really is the only one that we can turn to and lean on when storms hit. And for the rest of us here, God never promises us in his word that our life will be absent from pain and hardship. Someday we will all get the tough phone call that a loved one has passed away. Someday we will all, if we haven't already, feel the effects of sickness and disease in our own life and in the lives of others around us that we love. The reality is is that we have either walked through dark, difficult times already or we eventually will someday. And the Lord is wanting to show us this morning that Jesus is the only one that we can turn to and that we can trust in. Now, when asking the Lord to show me what these two stories had in common, uh, there were three things that stuck out to me as I was preparing for this message. These two, here's the three things. These two stories both have examples of Jesus performing miracles. I think that's a pretty easy, uh, easy one that we can see here. These uh, two stories both have examples of fear. And lastly, these two stories both have examples of radical transformation. This is going to be our outline this morning. This is kind of how we're going to work through this passage and look at this passage. So let's take a closer look at these similarities. So the first thing I said is that These two stories, uh, one of the things that they have in common is that they both have miracles. Two reasonable questions that we can ask um, based on this common theme that we see here is what are these miracles and why are they significant? What are the miracles that we see and why did Luke decide to add them in his account of Jesus' life? Well, let's take a look at our first miracle, which we will see in our first story. We see in the first story that Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples so that they can sail to the other side of the lake. This lake here that's being talked about is the Sea of Galilee, okay? And the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake, and it's kind of a crazy freshwater lake. It's about 33 miles in diameter. It's surrounded by mountains, and it's actually the second lowest point in the world, And it's the lowest freshwater body of water in the world. It's way below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains. And because the Sea of Galilee is made up this way, it's very prone for storms to just come out of nowhere. The weather patterns around the Sea of Galilee are very unpredictable. And so this is what we see in our first story. They get on this boat. Jesus says, let's sail to the other side. He goes to the stern, falls asleep. 
which I think is pretty awesome. It really solidifies my theology of napping. Anytime I want to nap I, and someone gives me a hard time about it, I'm like, well, look, Jesus did it. I want to do it. Yeah, this guy, this guy knows what I'm talking about. But he goes to the stern and takes a nap, and the disciples are on the other side of the boat, and they're sailing across this lake, and out of nowhere, this storm just hits them. And this is no normal storm. Some translations use the word squall instead of storm. A squall is a specific type of storm that happens out of nowhere, is very violent, and consists of a lot of rain and heavy winds. You know, before I really dug into this passage, I used to sort of tease the apostles here um, in this story because I just felt like they were being a little overdramatic, you know. Um, but the more I learned about this type of storm and the more I, uh, you know, just remembered that these guys are seasoned fishermen who have spent hours on water in boats, it seems a little bit more reasonable for them to react this way. It's a scary situation. They legitimately felt like their lives were in danger. And we know that they're afraid because of what they say. In verse 24, they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's account of this story, they ask Jesus, don't you even care that we're drowning? And so these men are terrified for their lives due to the storm that just hit them. They believe that Jesus doesn't really care with what's going on in their life in that moment. They believe that Jesus is far off, unattached to what's going on in their life. And we see the disciples wake up Jesus. Jesus gets up. He raises his hands. He speaks a word, and the storm is gone. Just like that. Chaos, confusion, fear, and at the spoken word, it's calm and quiet. So this is our first miracle. But why is it significant? Why did Luke include this miracle into our passage today? Well, one of the reasons why Jesus performed miracles, not the only reason, but it's one of a few reasons why Jesus performed miracles, is because these miracles were to be used as a sign to point people to who Jesus was. To point people to Jesus' authority as God. And so the gospel writers in incorporated Jesus' miracles in their accounts so that the miracles would be used as a sign and would point their readers to who Jesus is. How do I know this? Well, we can see it in the Bible. Actually, we can see it in the chapter that we were just in before chapter 8 and chapter 7. John the Baptist, he starts to have a little bit of doubt about who Jesus is. He has a little bit of a crisis of faith. And remember, this is the John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, who heard, who heard the Father's voice say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased in. This is John the Baptist who saw the Holy Spirit come on Jesus after his baptism. This is John the Baptist who said, I am unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. This is John the Baptist who leapt in his mother's womb at the announcement of Jesus' conception. He's having doubts. And so what he does is he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you indeed the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? Well, what does Jesus do? How does he respond? He doesn't get mad. He doesn't condemn John the Baptist. He doesn't make fun of John. John, you're so dumb. You know, he, he doesn't do that. All he does is he says, listen, go tell John what you've seen. The blind can see, 
the lame can walk, the dead have been raised, the sick have been healed. Essentially, Jesus says, go and tell John that you've seen me do things that only God can do. The miracles that Jesus has performed up to this point shows us something about who Jesus is. They show us that Jesus has authority, dominion, and power over sickness, disease, and death. This is the extent of the miracles that we've seen so far in the book of Luke. It shows us that Jesus has authority and is sovereign over humanity and over the human body. I think Luke adds this miracle in at this point in our story to show that Jesus in, a power, in power and authority um, stretches further than just humanity and the human body, but goes further into all of creation. This miracle is a display of power that shows people that Jesus is sovereign and in control and has dominion over everything that we see around us. We see examples um, of God, the God of the Bible, having dominion and control over the weather over and over again in the Old Testament. Two examples of this. One is in the book of Psalm, chapter 147, and verse 8. It says, He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 13, it says, When he thunders, some translations say, when he speaks, when he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind in his storehouses. The clouds that we see in the sky, the rains that we see fall to the earth, the storms that we see, the bright sunny days that we have, all happen because God is in control of it. God is holding all things together. He's causing all things to work together to make earth habitable for all of creation. These verses show that the God of the Bible is sovereign and in control over all creation. And by seeing this miracle in the book of Luke, it shows us that Jesus has the same power and authority. That he is indeed God. So this is why this miracle is so significant. It expands, it extends the scope of authority that we see Jesus have in his ministry. The second miracle we see Jesus perform is in our second story. They get into the boat, they sail to the other side of the lake, and they're immediately met with a demon-possessed man. A man who's naked, chained up, he's cast away from the rest of society, and while others, every other person around him has distanced themselves from him, they don't want to be around him, Jesus comes up to him. Jesus approaches him. And we see the man fall to his face. We see the man cry out. Now, most commentators make the argument that it's not the man himself who cries out and who falls down. Commentators make the argument that it's the demons inside of the man that force the man to cry out and to fall down before Jesus. And this makes sense. This man has no idea who Jesus is. This man has never seen Jesus, and yet he cries out and says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And so these uh, spiritual beings fall down before Jesus, and we know that they know who Jesus is. 
because they cry out his name. And what we see Jesus do is we see with a word, he rebukes the demons and the man is delivered. The demons come out of the man and they go into the herd of pigs. And so why is this miracle significant? Well, it's significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is one of the first miracles that we see Jesus do in Gentile territory. It's one of the first moments we see in the book of Luke where Jesus' ministry extends into the Gentiles. It's safe to assume that these are Gentiles because they have pigs. Jews don't mess with pigs. They're unclean. And so why would they have a herd of pigs? And so that's one reason why this miracle is significant. Another reason why this miracle is significant, though, is because, remember, miracles, in part, are to be used as a sign to people to display who Jesus is. And so what this miracle does is it shows us that Jesus' authority extends beyond the human body, extends beyond creation, and also transcends into the spiritual realm. What we see happen here in this miracle is we see demonic beings bow before Jesus. We see demonic beings proclaim that Jesus is the son of the most high God. We see demonic beings plead with Jesus, beg Jesus to not be tormented. We see demonic beings plead with Jesus not to be sent into the abyss, but to be sent into the herd of swine. The mention of torment and the abyss is significant here. It speaks to the future in Revelation chapter 20. Let me find my place here. Here we go. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I think the demon's mention of torment in the abyss shows us that the, that, that the demons know what is coming for them. They know what their final destination is. And they are begging Jesus, please don't let that moment be right now. Don't torment us. Don't cast us in the abyss. And so, for whatever reason, I don't know why, Jesus decides not to and sends them into the herd of pigs. This miracle that Jesus performs shows us that he has authority and everything is under subjection to him, including evil spiritual forces. Both of these miracles show us that Jesus is who he says he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in a little bit, we're going to see why this is so significant. We're going to see why God really wants us to grab a hold of this truth this morning of knowing who Jesus is. Now the second thing, the second common thread that we see in our passage today is we see examples of fear. We see examples of fear. Some of these examples are, uh, I think, rational responses of fear, but I think some examples are irrational responses of fear. And what do I mean by this? The rational responses of fear that we see in this passage come when the power of Jesus is on display. This seems like a pretty typical response for human beings in the Bible when they experience God's power or when they see God. From Isaiah in chapter 6, from Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, to the Apostle John in Revelation 1. 
And there's a lot of other examples in the Old Testament of people seeing the Lord, experiencing the power of the Lord, and in fear, they, they fall down before the Lord. And I can relate to this. When I, I don't get pulled over a lot. I just want to confess that. My wife's in the front seat. I haven't been hiding like speeding tickets from her. But times that I have gotten pulled over, and I think you can relate to this, what happens? Your heart starts pounding. You start shaking. You're worried that the cop is going to think that you're grabbing a gun instead of your insurance card. You know? Why is that? Because this police officer is in a position of authority. This police officer has power that you don't have. And I think what's happening here is that the disciples, when they see Jesus calm the storm, they experience and see power that they know that they don't have. They see a person who is in authority over them. And it kind of freaks them out a little bit. I mean, it would freak me out if I saw a guy walking down the street while it was storming, lift up his hands and rebuke the storm and it just stops. I, it would freak me out a little bit. And then when the townspeople see this man who was chained up, who was just completely nuts most of the time, they see him clothed in his right mind, sitting with Jesus. They see a display of power. They see someone who is in authority. And it kind of freaks them out a little bit. So these are places that we can look to that maybe we see some rational fear. But there's also an example of irrational fear. We mostly see this irrational fear take place in the disciples. We see their fear when they come to Jesus and say, Master, Master, we are perishing. In other accounts of this story, as I've said earlier, in Matthew and in Mark, they, some, they say something along the lines of, Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care that we're dying? This irrational fear that grips the disciples has caused them to doubt the care and love and power that they've seen in Jesus up to this point so far. They've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've seen Jesus' love and care for them. And yet in this moment, their eyes are off of him. They forget who he is and they are overcome and consumed with fear. And so this is the example of fear that we see in our passage today. The last thing that we see in our passage is an example of radical transformation. Actually, two examples of radical transformation. Where do we see this? <clears throat> well, the obvious transformation that we see is when the disciples are in the boat and the storm is raging, Jesus gets up, he speaks a word, and in a moment, it's calm and silent. There's peace. With the utterance of a word, Jesus caused a situation to go from being completely chaotic, wrought with fear, to being a situation where peace and quiet are present. Our, ex our, our second example is in our second story. Jesus comes up to this man, similar to the storm, there's fear, there's chaos. There's confusion, there's anxiety. And with the utterance of a word, Jesus brings calm and peace. Jesus causes a man who wants nothing to do with Jesus at first to become a man who begs Jesus, please let me be with you. 
Let me come with you. I've seen how good you are. I've seen the power and the authority that you have even over demonic beings. I want to be with you. This is radical transformation that we see in the midst of storms, of chaos, of confusion, of fear. And I've talked a lot today about Jesus wanting us to know who he truly is. And it's interesting because even in a chapter later, we can see that Jesus is interested in this and wants us to know this because he just comes out and asks the disciples, who do the people say I am? Well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. Some, some people think you're one of the old prophets who've come back from the dead. Okay, who do you say I am? And it's like one of the bright shining moments in, in Peter's life that we see in the Gospels. He says, you're God's Messiah. Jesus wants, to, wants us to know who he is. I think I've made a pretty good argument for that this morning. But why? Why is Jesus so preoccupied with this in this passage? Well, I think part of the reason, I, and I, this is where our application is going this morning. This is what the Lord wants us to see. He wants us to know who Jesus is. I think the reason why Jesus in part, wants us to know who he is is because he knows that storms in life are coming for us. I mean, even in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the story of these two men, we just sang about it, who built a house. You, you know, it's, it's a familiar story. One man builds a house on sand. He's not very good at carpentry because he obviously doesn't know much about foundations and the importance of foundations with houses. And then another man you know, who's probably like Bob Vila or someone like that, builds a house the right way. He builds it on a foundation. It's probably Tom Eastwood or Durfallis or somebody like that. He builds it on the solid rock. And one of the things that sticks out to me in this story is Jesus doesn't say, and if storms come, here's what's going to happen to your house. He doesn't say that. He says when the storms come. Jesus knows that we live in a broken and fallen world, and he knows that storms are coming for all of us. Jesus knows that it's not a matter of if, but when. And he knows that he is the only one who is truly sovereign and in control over all things. So whether it's a literal storm that rips apart your house, whether it's a disease or sickness, spiritual attack, he's in control over all of it. He stands as sovereign and uh, in authority over all of those things. And so he wants us to know him because he knows that he is the only one that we need. He knows that he is the only one who is worthy for us to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in this morning. And so I said earlier that I believe God wants to call you this morning to deeper trust. Where the disciples doubt Jesus and believe that he is indifferent to their pain, the Lord is showing us this morning that he is very involved and very capable of bringing calm and peace. But not only calm and peace, transformation. I think that's why that's important for us to see the transformation that happens in this passage the reality is that when the disciples woke Jesus and asked him, do you not care that we are perishing? They weren't seeing Jesus for who he really is. 
They weren't trusting in who Jesus said he was. And here's the thing. We can be critical of the disciples all we want, but the reality is is that we have all been there at some point in our life. We have all, at some point in our lives, been the disciples where we take our eyes off of Jesus when something hard happens in our life, and what do we do? We, res- uh, we, we, um, uh, we go into despair. We experience fear. We revert to anxiety. And Jesus does not want this for his sons and daughters. He does not want this for his followers. He wants us to experience peace in the storm. He wants us to experience joy in the storm. And he knows that he is the only one that can help us in that. He knows that he's the only one who can bring that and give it to us. I've had these moments in my life. I'm not up here uh, preaching on this as someone who's arrived. When, any, when, when anytime something bad happens to me, I, you know, I'm just like, praise the Lord. He's good, you know? I mean, just on a small scale, I don't like summer very much. And one of the reasons why I don't like summer very much is because I sweat a ton, okay? Even that little tiny minute thing causes me to complain and whine about just how tough life is getting my kids in the hot van with the hot leather seats and they're squirming around and you're trying to buckle them and then you pinch their leg with the little buckle. Like, that is nothing. That's nothing. But I've experienced uh, more serious situations in my life. Most of you know my youngest daughter was born with a cleft palate and a cleft lip. It was one of the hardest times of my life. My wife and I had to walk through three surgeries with my daughter in the first year. And just to be honest with you, I did not walk through that season of life with complete grace and in complete confidence in knowing who the Lord was. There were plenty of times where, like the disciples, I thought, where are you, Lord? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm, like, really grieving right now, watching my little daughter being wheeled away into the operation room, and that I'm weeping? Like, it doesn't seem like you care that much. But here's the thing. The Lord, through friends through teachings, through his word, helped me to see who Jesus really was in that season. And here's what happened. I, be, I, I began to grow deeper in my trust for Jesus. I began to grow deeper in my faith for Jesus. And here's what happened in, through all of that. He brought about significant transformation in my life. I asked myself, I, I asked myself constantly, do I want to be the person I am today now because of what the Lord has done through all of this hard stuff, or do, would I rather go back to who I once was and never experience this? I've asked that of some of you who I know who are walking through really hard things right now. It's tough. It's not fun. It's scary. But when you see what the Lord is doing in your life, I've asked you the question, look at where the Lord has brought you. Look at how he's changed your heart. Look at how you're Uh, you know, praising the Lord through these trials. I want to ask you, do you want to be this person that the Lord has made you into today through this really tough period of your life, or would you just rather go back and be who you once were and never experience this? I'm not making the argument that the Lord inflicts harm on us, inflicts pain on us, but what the Lord does do is he doesn't allow our suffering to go to waste. He doesn't cause us to suffer and endure storms just for the heck of it, because he's not a jerk. He's not a mean God. He's a good God. He loves you, and so he wants to take every opportunity of your life, good or bad, 
to sanctify you, to cause you to become more like him, to cause you to delight in him more, to cause you to see him for who he is, that he is trustworthy, that he is worth putting your faith and your hope in. And so for my application this morning, I just want to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? And not just for you in here who have been following the Lord for years. If you're in here this morning and you don't know the Lord, who do you say Jesus is? Because here's the thing. A very common thing that is said today is similar to what uh, the people around the disciples said about Jesus. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's a prophet. But he's definitely not God. But what we've seen this morning is we've seen Jesus, who is a teacher, who uh, did come to this earth as a man, it display the authority and the power that only God has. And so it's reasonable to believe and think that Jesus is God. And so if you're just not really sure who Jesus is, I want to make the argument to you that he's made it very clear who he is. He is God. And so who do you say Jesus is this morning? The last thing I want to share um, is another purpose for these miracles. One is to be used as a sign, but another purpose for these miracles is to give us a glimpse of the hope of eternity that we have with the Father. To give us a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Every time Jesus heals a person of their infliction, of their deformity, it's a glimpse of showing us what it says in Revelation 20, that there's going to be no more tears, there's going to be no more suffering, there's going to be no more sorrow. Every time Jesus calms a storm or rebukes a demon, we can believe and trust what Revelation 21 says. We can believe and trust what uh, we know and believe what the Bible says about, the Jesus, about Jesus coming and judging good and evil in the creation of the new earth. This is our hope. This, this is one of the things that we can look to, that the Lord wants us to look to when we're working through storms in our life. Before I close in prayer, I, I just wanted to do something. Um, I just wanted to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you are here this morning and you are in the midst of a storm right now and you are gripped with fear, you are experiencing anxiety like never before and you're being completely honest with yourself, you are really struggling right now to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who, who do you say Jesus is? Would you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now. And then we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to respond in singing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these individuals who have raised their hands. Thank you, Lord, that you see them and that you know them. You know exactly what they're going through. You're not distant. 
you're not far off. You're not indifferent to their pain that they feel. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is one that we can look to who has suffered in every way that we will suffer, who can relate to our weakness and our pain. Lord, I pray for these individuals this morning that you would help them. You would empower them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to see you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would grab their faces right now and turn their eyes onto you. And they would experience, Lord, your power in a way that drives out any fear and any anxiety. I I pray that in a moment, Lord, you would uh, cause this situation in their life to go from fear and chaos and anxiety to calm and peace and quiet. Lord, I also pray that you would continue to use these situations in their lives to change them, to create a deeper dependency on you, Lord. Father, we pray for the rest of our time this morning, Lord, that our hearts would be yielded to you in worship and in adoration. I pray that we've seen you in a way this morning that causes our hearts to bow down before you, to lay our crowns at your feet and proclaim you as the king over all things. I pray that our singing this morning would be singing that comes from a place of awe and wonder of who you are. It would come from a place of delight and freedom that we have because of you. Thank you so much, Lord, for this morning, for our time of gathering. We pray all this in your name. Amen.